1: Simpler communications.
2: A. <laughs> this
1: is the
0: MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. 33! <laughs>
1: Hey, yo, welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on social media, at Billy Up Show or on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. Please subscribe and catch all of the latest content. And, of course, our Thursday and Friday streams from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., which will, of course, continue throughout the season, but we will be getting added, too, because pretty soon we're only... We're less, than, we're less than 14 days away now at this point, Chris. We're, we're going to have kickoff. That means yes. we're going to have Saturday night shows from 930 to 1030. Streaming to you guys live on social media at belly up MDFF show and live on YouTube. Where we're going to talk about your DraftKings DFS contests that we're going to have, which this year we're going to have a weekly giveaway along with the monthly giveaway. So if you weren't part of it last year, last year what we did Chaz of ChampionshipFootballs.com will come on second half of the show. Talk about our favorite bets for Sunday to help you guys win some money. But you'd also give away each month a championship football. A, really, a great prize for those who would win their DFS DraftKings lineup. And then we would have a raffle of the four names that won. And Whoever's name we picked out of a hat would win a championship football. That's going to continue. That would be the monthly giveaway. But we're also going to add... Chaz has come out with a fantastic tool to help you guys win some money on your bets called easy sports data. And he's going to give you guys a cheat sheet for free every week. So every week, whoever wins is going to get that cheat sheet for free and have a chance to utilize that tool to really win some money the following week. So that's, what's going to be going on for that. That'll be our Saturday night DFS show that, uh, and sport and sports betting show. Then of course, Sunday night, we'll have the Sunday afternoon recap. Monday night, or we'll come out Tuesday. We'll pre-record it Monday. It'll come out on Tuesday. We'll be the Sunday night recap, Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report. We'll have the Thursday preview, Friday preview. So that is the schedule upcoming. And we're less than two weeks away from all that content from the NBC News football show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, i joined here with Chris Dowhower. Today's show, we're going to be talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five tight ends, along with a lot of breaking news. And because we didn't get to the mailbag segment yesterday, we're going to have an extended mailbag segment today. Remember, all you got to do if you ever need our advice on anything, hit us up at belly MDFF show on social media. We will answer everybody's question, but we're going to select a few to put onto the show as well and have you guys join in that way. And of course, feel free to comment live throughout the show, too. Chris, how you doing today, man?
3: I'm doing pretty good. We had your two hundred show yesterday, so that was pretty cool. Uh today we're gonna get uh, we're a week away from my own fantasy football drafts coming up, so I'm excited because I'm finally start being on start talking about it, and actually start doing it. So yeah, I'm I'm very hyped up because football is right around the corner, as you pointed out.
1: Yeah, uh, next week next week we're gonna have a couple interesting shows because I really feel like Labor Day weekend has become the big draft weekend. Now, this weekend is too. Starting to probably tonight, tomorrow, a lot of drafts are going to be going on this weekend. But Labor Day weekend has become the big draft weekend because you finally you get out of training camp, you get out of the NFL preseason, and there's going to be some life changing injuries that have already been done and taken care of at that point. So, really utilizing the fact that it's those big weekends. So, going into it next week, we're going to talk about our top 108 players our top rank one oh eight players because those rankings will be I tweaked them they're gonna be out published by tomorrow on billet fantasy dot com or on fantasy pros because I will be part of the ECR competition this year on fantasy pros. So we'll be able to check that out. Utilize that as a tool where we evaluate these guys. We're gonna go over that. So it's gonna be a top one oh eight next Thursday and then we're gonna talk about our future bets for the NFL season both player prop-wise and team-wise on Friday. So we're going to try to win you guys some money leading into the weekend before the season starts off. So that's what you have to look forward to there as you get into your fantasy drafts. Remember, we're always a tool for you guys. So I know it's a big weekend coming up. We'll have the rankings updated. We'll have all this content coming out. Make sure you hit us up. We'll help you out throughout the way. Okay, Chris. Let's, we weren't able to get into a lot of the news of the week yesterday because we had such a jam-packed show. So let's get into the news of the week here now. Breaking news. I was actually kind of surprised this first piece of news happened when it did. I thought we might have to wait until after the third week of preseason for to get this announcement, and I'm just very thankful it was a smart one. But Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback for the Denver, Denver Broncos. What is your reaction to that?
3: Yeah, we kind of touched upon yesterday's Smoke and Fire show about the change of quarterback. I'm excited about it. I think Teddy Bridgewater can help this offense be more consistent, have it kind of, you know, all the guys be utilized more effectively. So I think it's upside definitely for fantasy purposes, particularly all the skill set players. I think Denver made a good decision. I'm not a big Luck fan. I never have been. A Luck fan, I should say. Um, But I think this is the move they needed to make, and I think Teddy's going to help this offense a lot.
1: This is the move. Yeah. This is the move they needed to make. They have a great defense. They have all the weapons in the world. All you need is a quarterback to not screw it up. And that's not what Drew Locke is. Drew Locke is a quarterback who's going to screw it up. He's a turnover, gunslinger, and misses wide open guys all the time. The biggest reason why Jerry Judy was a disappointment last season wasn't because of Jerry Judy, wasn't because of the drops. It was because Drew Locke couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Teddy Bridgewater can do that. Teddy Bridgewater can keep the chains moving, keep the offense on the field, and yes, maybe the big plays will be limited to some degree. You're going to get a lot more efficiency, and therefore, you're going to get a lot more volume than you would under under a Drew Lock. As a result of that, we talked about a little bit yesterday. I still expect Cortland Sutton to be the number one targeted wide receiver. The guy is a stud. Don't forget that. Just because he missed most of last season, and from all indications. He's looked great in camp. He's looked healthy. They say he looks strong. He looks ready to go. Jerry Judy might take the next step up, too. That's fine. Occasionally Hamler will have his role. But from a fantasy standpoint, Cortland Sutton is still a high-end wide receiver three with some upside there for me. Jerry Judy more of a low-end wide receiver three there. The guy I'm not as excited by, but at the same time, he is still ranked in my top ten tight ends is Noah Fant.
3: Yeah, I think that people are kind of excited about Noah Fant's skill set more so than the actual production you're going to get. He might not even be the best tight end on the team. Their backup's incredible, too, and you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets. Um, I think overall this team just has so many different mouths to feed between the running backs, different receiving options, the different tight end options. Noah Fant is going to have some weeks where he has a decent week here or there, but we haven't really seen Noah Fant kind of shine the way we expected. Even last year with all those injuries they had, people kind of expecting Noah Fant to have breakout games, and he really did it. So I think Noah Fant right now is one of those guys who are on top of the tight ends where they should go or they shouldn't go. He's the guy that I think is being a little bit overvalued right now.
1: Well, just you have the three receivers there. The running backs will be involved in the past. There's a lot of mouths to feed. And I don't don't expect this to be a top 10 passing volume offense either, given the defense and everything else they have going on. So someone has to suffer. Again, I still have Noah Fant inside of my top 10 tight ends. He's still a tight end one in my book. Still a tremendous talent. He'll still be involved in the red zone. But i just kind of curious how consistent will that volume be because people are drafting him pretty aggressively in an overall standpoint, not necessarily from a tight end standpoint, but an overall standpoint where he's going inside the top eight rounds. And this probably plays at the point of one of my draft strategies and probably a good time to bring it up. If I don't get one of the top guys, one of the top four, top five guys on my board, I'd rather get one of my sleepers. I'd rather take a chance on a Tyler Higbee, on a Janu Smith, Guys you can get in the double-digit rounds because those mid-round tight ends, a lot of times, it's kind of talk about the running back dead zone. There's a mid-round tight end dead zone where a lot of times they don't wind up giving you the value you need for that draft pick. I think Noah Fant just slides into that category for me, but that was going to be the case regardless of the quarterback. I'm glad to see his Teddy Bridgewater. I think this helps out the running backs too. Melvin Gordon, and St. Williams will get more dump-offs too as a result and just a better all-around move. Uh, next up, Clyde edwards laird dealing with a little bit of a sprained ankle. He should be fine for week one, as far as I know.
3: Yeah, he avoided the high ankle sprain, which is the big one. That's what they were a little bit concerned about. Uh, Andy Reid came out on record and said it was not the high ankle sprain, so he's probably just going to be basically limited in practice. I don't really think this is going to hurt him too much. Um, the offense is pretty much in place. They are going to play some of their starters week three, where a lot of team, or week four, should, but a lot of teams aren't. Um, but I think week overall three. this – I'm sorry, right. Like it's still new week four, I should I was yeah, trying to say. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, but I don't think it's really gonna change anything, really, because I think for them overall, they already have their offense, has been kind of flowing as it's gonna go. So Clyde Edwards hilarious, just you're you're happy he avoided any major injury.
1: Yeah, as long as it's not a high ankle sprain, I was never gonna be too concerned. We still expect him to be back and ready to go by week one. It's kind of interesting, like you said, like the new week four preseasons, week three. But Something that kind of clicked on me the other day. We have week three of the preseason that's going on this weekend, right? But we still have a weak gap between now and when the regular season starts because we have Labor Day weekend. So you still have... That would have been the fourth preseason week anyway. So when you see these teams, some teams, not everybody, when you see some of these teams playing their starters, there actually still is that weak gap. So it doesn't make... It's not as illogical as I was initially thinking it would be to play your starters the last week of the preseason, because there is still a weak gap between the regular season actually starting to get some guys, some reps in. It's just kind of interesting note, especially in like, you know, a situation with a Joe Burrow, for instance, who in the news, you know, is going to play a little bit this weekend. Uh, I think that's a good thing for him, but it makes some more sense. If you're looking at yourself and going, well, why wait to the last week of the preseason right before? Well, there's still that weak gap in between.
3: Yeah, it gives you know, depending on what your coaching style is and your belief system is, some coaches believe you need to kind of get that rhythm before that week one so that gives some of these guys opportunity not to have too many weeks off and be still kind of fresh out there.
1: Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Tyreek Hill missed a couple practices with a hamstring. From what I understand, this is all precautionary with Tyreek Hill, you don't need him out there, he hasn't missed that many. Seems like he's going to be fine. I'm not overly concerned. You know, with Tyreek Hill, the one thing you you know, you know, worry about is soft tissue injuries. Like the only thing that could throw him off his season. But this doesn't sound like it was an actual strain or anything. It sounds like maybe he had a little discomfort one day and they decided, you know, just not going to have you practice.
0: Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really?
0: Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Yeah, I think they're just playing safe and playing smart, which is what you need to do with Kyrie Killer. You don't want that something lingering going into the season because we have seen that hinder him in the past.
1: Uh, Carson Wentz returns to practice this week. That's Yay. big because that puts him dead on pace for a week one appearance, which is what we're all hoping for. That's what the Eagles are hoping for, for their draft picks, what the Colts are hoping for after watching the disaster that is Jacob Easton and Sam Ellinger uh, and what T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman and, Jonathan and everybody else in the Colts is hoping for because that offense is 10 times better with Carson Wentz.
3: Yeah, you can actually feed some of the mouths on offense. I mean, I had Michael Pittman was the biggest one where I actually had him being a guy I kind of targeted later on in drafts. He dropped completely off my board when the Carson Wentz news first came out that he was going to miss a lot of playing time. And you get Quentin Nelson back on top of that with Carson Wentz. So the combination of the two is huge for that Colts offense, not only just for the running game and Jonathan Taylor, but also just for that overall that offense and actually be able to get some the receivers involved.
1: Yeah. Combination of two is all the skilled players can go back to where they were ranked because, again, Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson expect to be back week one. And I'll add another caveat to that. Carson Wentz is somebody who goes back to being a mid-level QB, two for me, which if you're looking to stream the quarterback position and you're looking for somebody to play week one, they play Seattle. That could be a high-scoring game, so that might not be a bad spot to play him if you're just looking to stream the quarterback anyway to take somebody late. Carson Wentz could be that guy. Uh, Travis Etienne. This was the biggest news, of course, of the week. Besides probably the Sony Michelle trade, which we talked about in yesterday's show. You can go back and listen on your favorite pod streaming app. But Travis Etienne, unfortunately, Liz Franck injury, midfoot sprain. They said the minimum timeline would have been twelve weeks. The Jaguars know they're not a playoff team, so instead of you know seeing if he can hang around at the end of the season, just decided to put him on the season-ending IR. We'll see him in twenty twenty-two.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely disappointing for a lot of people. A lot of people had him as one of their top running backs, especially the rookie class because he was drafted in the first round. You know, I had my doubts what his usage was going to be, but this disappointing to see because you like to see the guy actually had an opportunity to be out there versus his basically the start, start of his career is going to be postponed for another whole year.
1: Well, right, and then, you know, this is another reason why it's smart to just try to wait as late as you possibly can the draft because now if you're a guy who took Travis Etienne in the fifth round, now you're now you're stuck behind the eight ball essentially, but this does a lot of things for fantasy football purposes. First of all, of course, you know Travis Etienne no longer a factor, but now we get a second year in a row of the reign of James Robinson. Apparently, now here's the thing, Here's my thing with James Robinson, and it's not going to be exactly the same as it was last year because Carlos Hyde is infinitely better than anything they had behind James Robinson a season ago. So the idea that James Robinson is going to get 90, 95% of the workload of snaps. I don't, it's not going to be quite that high. However, I tried to play it safe with him. And my safe estimate for him was a 65, 30 to 35 split between the two. And I thought it was safe because it wouldn't surprise me if it was more like 70% or more in favor of James Robinson. Because at this point, Carlos High is an adequate backup. I don't think he's a guy you really need to force making part of a committee in your team. But this is more of just a reflection of if their idea was to have a committee to have a one, two punch, maybe Hyde winds up being a little bit more involved than he would be, you know, in another situation this season. So just to kind of project that. And even with that, I still wound up having James Robinson as a mid-level RB two with, you know what, honestly, some potentially some upside from there because of the volume that he might be seeing.
3: Yeah. I mean, the big thing is him being involved in the passing games. You kind of pointed out, I think that when he was only going to be a first and second down back, you really had a limited value for him. You kind of saw last year Jacksonville was one of the worst rushing teams overall as it was, so you weren't guaranteed you were going to get a lot of production in the running game out of him. But we saw him have a nice floor last year and have most of his consistency was he was utilized in the passing game. So if he's the primary pass catcher out of that backfield, that's definitely going to boost his value and have him definitely move up, moving up people's boards. I still see him kind of an RB3 with RB2 upside, but I don't see him as a guy that I necessarily have to have, but now it kind of adds some depth to that running back position where I thought Charles Zientian was going way too early. Now if you take a James Robinson there, you definitely have something you're working with.
1: Yeah, and I see no reason why he won't lead the way as far as a pass catcher goes. And, and like the, running, the offensive line is terrible, but... I do truly believe with Trevor Lawrence there and the addition of Marvin Jones and a healthier DJ Chark. This offense will actually be in position to score a little bit more than they did a season ago, whether by hook or by crook. I was just given the, given the circumstances with them. I'll say I'll, I'll pose this question to you because the next piece of news is, you know, Darrell Henderson just talking about his right thumb sprain. Nothing to worry about as far as week one. But now with the trade with Sony Michelle, and the news with Travis Etienne, James Robinson or Daryl Henderson?
3: I would have to go with James Robinson in that role right now because I think there's going to be more, we talked about yesterday's show, more of a split using Zoe Michelle. I think the Rams are going to have a better usage overall than the Patriots did for him. They're going to utilize him probably win next actually in the passing game here or there. They're going to have a good um, ability to have a one-two tandem. You know, Henderson may be able to attack the edges a little bit more. Michelle's more of an between-the-tackles guy. So you have those two guys that pair well together. Well, I think Carlos Hyde has something left still. We've seen Carlos Hyde have a really hard time staying healthy. We've seen him have a hard time kind of being productive consistently. So I do think this is James Robinson's backfield overall and doesn't really have a threat to that. And can I just say, James, James Robinson must practice voodoo or something because every starting running back before him was supposed to be basically a threat to his job, has lost their jobs or got COVID or something happened, get injured, for him, they allowed him to be this guy that he is in the backfield, even talking about him in fantasy football. This guy went from basically a guy who had no idea going into camp last year to the starter last year. And this year, we we're like everybody's all about ETN and how James Robinson's you know, guy we can write off now. And here he is back in you know, one of the top RB conversations again.
1: I mean, some guys just have the stars aligned the right way for their own purposes. And I want to give James Robinson credit to this point. He took advantage. He had a very productive season on a very bad team last year, was put in position to start, and now with the Travis Etienne injury, if he's able to put together a similar type of season, even if it doesn't wind up being with the Jaguars long-term, he will get his opportunity. He will get his starting running back money somewhere else. So this is a big opportunity here for James Robbins. You do it back-to-back seasons, you're no longer a guy that we have to question whether or not it's just a fluke, or a flash in the pan, you're now a legitimate good starting running back. And I'm with you as far as Darrell Henderson, James Robinson, James Robinson's ranked ahead for me. And I mean, not just because of the volume, because I expect James Robinson to see more volume than Daryl Henderson will, especially with the Sony Michelle trade. But I, you can trust James Robinson to stay healthy for a full season. He was able to do it last year, definitely more so to Darrell Henderson. So I mean, that's the big thing why he's still a mid, a mid level to low end RB two for me with some upside from there. More news. This was unfortunate because he was one of my sleepers I was big on. We're still trying to get exactly a clarification as of now. We might get something before the weekend's out. But Adam Troutman is, as far as the timeline goes, as of now, is one to three weeks with a foot injury. Disappointing because he's one of my sleeper tight ends. Um, Chris, give me your reaction to the injury, but also give me the reaction to the fact that in the two preseason games, he wasn't targeted at all. Is there anything to that either?
3: I don't think there was anything really to read into that him not being targeted, but I am definitely concerned with him missing additional time. It allows other guys to kind of find their roles in the offense. We were kind of expecting him to have a breakout this year and be one of the more featured guys because we love Jameis Winston as a quarterback and kind of utilize the tight position. But when you look at this offense, you see a, a converted tight end, so sort of converted receiver to, to a tight end, Jawan Johnson, who's been shining kind of in, not only in preseason, but also in camp. You see other guys getting opportunity to kind of make their mark where now Trapman might come back where he had a clear cut role. He might be a piece of the puzzle versus the piece. So I do think it's concerning overall because I think of the time he's missing, the offensive kind of continuity is missing. I'm not worried about the targets, but I'm worried more so about him just having the opportunity to become a guy they want to factor into the offense.
1: Yeah, I, it was a little concerning for me that they didn't target him at all just because he's got regulated to the blocker status, and I do wonder if they're going to need him to be that more so this year because you had guys like Juwan Thompson, one of the latest in a long line of wide receivers, who started, decided to eat themselves up to an upper class to become a tight end, uh, and he was getting a lot of the passing work. Ultimately, he's still going to be a guy who's going to be in my top 12, who's still going to be a sleeper type of mine. Hopefully, this injury holds true that it is only one to three weeks. If it winds up being any longer than that, then maybe not. But Adam not try still on my sleeper board until he gets some more clarification on it. He's still going to be involved. He's still a good pass catcher and a guy, a tight end who's going to be on the field all the time. It's still going to be probably something worth having at some point during the season. I was just, I was starting to get a little bit concerned this winds up being like a Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby situation if Juwan Thompson kept playing the way that he was. It was the only thing I was kind of getting concerned about. But until we get more clarification on his injury, Adam Troutman's still in my sleeper board for tight ends. Uh, the last thing, DeAndre Swift is considered questionable for week one with the groin injury. We touched on this a little bit yesterday, though. In practice, he's getting the reps. He's not being limited. So we aren't really concerned about week one for DeAndre Swift.
3: No. Like I, I, I said, touched upon yesterday's show, all the insiders who are witnessing practicing observations say he looks plenty explosive. He's had big plays in practice already the last couple of days, and he, he's no reason he wouldn't be on track to be a full-time go for week one.
1: And and while groin issue can sound kind of scary when you're talking about a running back, uh, the fact that he's getting the amount of work that he is two weeks to go until the regular season starts should indicate to you he's okay because if he wasn't, or if he's a little bit questionable, he wouldn't be getting as many reps as he is right now because they would be trying to wean him in for week one and not pushing him too hard. So the fact that he's getting the workload he is in practice should be a good indication that I don't think this groin issue is one of those issues where you have to worry about it lingering in to the season necessarily. It's not going to be on the checkboard when you're going into your drafts. That's going to do it for the news of the week for us. We're going to give a quick shout-out to one of our sponsors of the show and come back and dive into our best five tight ends on the other side. So stay tuned to the MDs Fantasy Football Show. We'll be right back after this.
3: Your client's going away for
1: 10 years. Unless, unless we swap first round picks. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're
0: listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: this is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash
3: free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors.
1: What's going on, MD Nation? We're back. You're streaming to you live at Belly up MDFF show on social media or on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. We have lots of content always coming out to you guys. I mean, we're on social media everywhere. We got TikTok going on. We got Instagram going on. But we got everything going on here. Along with the player news notifications, which is huge from here on for the rest of the season. So just make sure those little notifications are up on your social media account. Follow us at BellyUpMDFFShow. And we're going to give you that edge over your competition for the rest of the year. I'm Dan Mater joined here with Chris Dowhower, going over our best five, bus five, sleeper five tight ends. And let's kick it off. With our best five in today's show, Chris. Now, I usually start this with number five, but let's get this out of the way. Travis Kelsey, number one. There's only one question to ask: Is there any scenario in which you think Travis Kelsey is not the number one tight end this year? I mean,
3: I think barring injury, no. Um, I think that this is clear-cut. I mean, this we we're talking about on the previous shows. Is he the tight end in the first tight end you might actually consider taking in the first round? Because if you're in a tight end important league, he's clearly the number one guy. I think there's no chance for him not to. I think the only way that happens is an injury, and these guys have been healthy as they have come for the last few years. So I seem I say no.
1: I think I'm gonna not do the injury thing because I think that's the obvious answer. There's only one guy who I think has an opportunity to usurp him, which would be George Kittle if he could stay healthy for a full season, which is a big question mark, and that's why he's not going to be ranked there. But on a points-per-game basis, George Kittle's the only one who rivals Travis Kelsey when he's healthy out there. He's the only one who comes close. Darren Waller's great, but Darren Waller's usually about two points off where Travis Kelsey was on points-per-game basis. Last year, I believe Travis Kelsey was about 16.4. On a per-game basis, George Kittle was about 16 flat. So he's the only one in the same category on a per-game basis. So if I was going to say one guy has a chance, it would maybe George Kittle because of the injury factor, obviously you're not going to rank that, but that's the only scenario in which I could see him not being the number one tight end. Just, just to throw that out there because otherwise Travis Kelsey's is your go-to guy. Actually, you know what, before we move on, I'll ask you this. Are you good with drafting Travis Kelsey in the first round? Something more happening more and more commonly with teams that leagues that have tight end position still.
3: I am. I think it's something I definitely struggle with because I haven't historically ever really done so. But when you look at the drop-off between the number one tight end and the rest of the league, this guy's putting up receiver numbers, top receiver numbers. So when you have that consistency and you have the opportunity to get an advantage, a position, always big in the beginning and advantage, and you have somebody that you can throw in there week in, week out, that you have no concerns about, no worries about. And when somebody's running back, some of these receivers that are there, might be on the board there, you have some questions about maybe how much better they are than somebody else. Travis Kelsey, to me, there's no question. He's clearly the number one tight end, so I have no problem taking him in the first round.
1: I mean, the guy last year had 145 targets, 105 receptions, over 1,400 yards, and 11 touchdowns. It's wide receiver one numbers. Because you have a tight end who can give you wide receiver one numbers, I'm okay with taking him in the first round when you add in the value, the position advantage that you're getting there. So I'm with you. It's not something I like to do. The last time I considered it was Rob Gronkowski. Of course, that was the year he decided that his back was done, and he started to get hurt. But Travis Kelsey, as far as a durability going into the season with what we know now, we never can truly know the future, but with what we know now, there's nobody who's more durable than a Travis Kelsey. So you don't have to really worry about that when you're going into your drafts. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of the best five, because this is where it gets a little more interesting. We both up Darren Waller number two. I know for me that's because of the lack of wide receivers and the expected volume of this Raiders basket attack to have to get funneled towards Darren Waller. Is there any other reason why Darren Waller is your number two?
3: Yeah, I go with that. And I think that because there's more of a clear cut where he falls in the food chain offensively over George Kittle. I love George Kittle. And we talked about his injuries are a little bit concerning, but I'm also more concerned that Shanahan doesn't seem to always game plan to utilize him from week to week. While we know Darren Waller will heavily be involved, Derek Carr will continue to look for him. And to your point, I think he's clearly the best receiving option on the team. So, between all those different factors, I think there's that you know a clear-cut opportunity for Darren Waller to continue to be the number two guy. George Kittle, I think, is a little more malafede of a run-oriented scheme. There are a lot of different things that can kind of go wrong, quote unquote, for him to be that number two.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it's 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 the volume Darren Waller has by default. It's the George Kittle injury factor. That's why he's uh, my number two. Why George Kittle's my number three. I will say this though, I've seen some drafts where George Kittle is falling in that fourth round territory. Could be a very interesting pick there, especially if this guy can stay healthy. Let's say, I don't know, 13 plus, 14 plus games this year rather than what he had last season. All right, so let's get to where we're different. We're different at number four, slightly, because you have Mark Andrews at four. I have him at five. So, Chris, why is Mark Andrews in your top four tight ends this year?
3: Um, I like Mark Andrews Mostly in the top four because he's been productive for the last couple of years. He has been a little bit banged up, but I think he's going to be healthy this year. And with the improvement in receiver, while there's, you know, it's going to be a question whether he was going to be where he failed in the food chain with all those different receiver additions. Obviously, with the, all the different injuries they've had and the kind of flux in their they are, he's been the one consistent for Lamar Jackson this offseason and has always kind of been. And they talk, continue to talk about it in camp. Lamar loves throwing the ball this guy. And when this guy is healthy, he's basically unguardable. So for me, Mark Andrews is that money in the bank guy where you know he's gonna be continue to be used. If you know a question about Greg Oman, Greg Roman offensively, historically he's always utilized tight ends as much as he possibly can. So you have all the different things. Lamarck's throw the ball in the middle. I think Mark Andrews has a very safe floor, has decent go upside, and I have him number four guy because I feel like that's the guy I have most confidence in.
1: Yeah, I mean he's as secure as they come as far as what his role is in that offense. Last year, even though it felt like a down year, he still finishes a tight end five was tight end three on a points per per game basis. His ADP right now is tight end four, which is where you have him ranked. I am a tight end five. The only reason I am a tight end five is just because I'm expecting a little more, you know, share opportunity to go towards the wide receiver group this year than Mark Andrews. But Mark Andrews is still going to be my number one pass catcher of the Baltimore Ravens. He is the safety blanket. He is the red zone guy there's a natural rapport with him and Lamar Jackson. It wasn't just because he was the only true target over the past couple of years, why Mark Andrews was, was targeted as much as he was and was number one pass catcher for this team with him and Lamar Jackson. It wasn't just because by default, he was the had to be the go-to guy. There's a genuine rapport there between those two. And you can tell that when you watch it on the field. That doesn't go away no matter how many weapons you add around. And then you add in the fact the wide receivers have been banged up. And you guys still have a rookie, still have guys coming along. Andrew's still going to operate within his role. Now, like I said, I have him at number five. The reason I have him at number five, I have TJ Hawkinson at number four. I just have him with a little more upside. I think if you want if you were approaching this with the idea of, I want the safer of the two, I would actually take Mark Andrews over TJ Hawkinson. But I have him ranked at number four because of the expected just volume. I think TJ Hawkinson is as much of a lock as they come at the tight end position for 100 plus targets this year, given the status that Detroit is in given that Jared Goff does go to his tight ends historically. So we don't have to change the wheel there. And you're talking about Tyra Williams, Rashad Perryman. We'll see what we get out of the rookie, Amon Ra St. Brown. But I'll add this in. TJ Hawkinson entering his third season typically is a breakout season for up-and-coming tight ends. I'm just big on the volume of a TJ Hawkinson this year, and that's why I have him at number four.
3: Yeah, I struggle with Hawkinson in general just because – I know the narrative is that he's the only mouth to feed, and that's where he's going to increase. But I I think, you know, and Jared Koff likes to throw the ball at those tight ends, but so did Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford definitely featured his tight ends. That receiving core was banged up last year. They didn't have Kenny Gallagher for most of the season. Marvin Jones is kind of on fumes in a lot of ways. They had no other true option. DeAndre Swift wasn't really utilized in the passing game, which you kind of expected him to. And Taji Hawkinson still wasn't that great. So for me, I don't necessarily see there's going to be this giant jump that people kind TJ of TJ Hopkins
1: still finished as number four tight end last year. What are you talking about? He, he did. wasn't
3: that great. He was one of the more like healthy guys last year, too. I think that's a big part of it. Well, that goes um,
1: hand in hand with this whole thing. Yes, I agree with that part. But availability is part of it. He was still fifth in points per game. Or I'm sorry. No, excuse me. He was. Yeah, no, I'm right. He was fifth in points per game.
3: Yeah, he was in points per game. I, I have him just outside my top five, so I don't think he's going to necessarily improve from last year's more what I'm getting at. I think what you kind of see is what you get in T.J. Hawkinson, and I think that I don't have the upside that, you know potential in my mind that you kind of do. I do see that he's one of the more clear mouths to feed in the offense, but I don't think it means he's going to get more volume per se as a result of that.
1: Well, that just makes absolutely no sense in my mind. Well, he's it doesn't
3: because they didn't have receivers last year. They didn't. Have, they didn't have. Like I said, kind of Marvin with Jones is
1: still better than anything they had this season.
3: Marvin Jones had how many targets last year to make it so ridic- ridiculous that he's going to all of a sudden? Saying, be but it's, he was still better than what last.
1: they had last season. Agreed.
3: I don't um, know how much he, better he's, he's than the Williams.
1: I, that's a joke. Come on, you gotta be kidding me. That's a joke. Marvin at, Jones, at this point in his
3: career, I don't think Marvin Jones has a whole lot. Of, Marvin
1: left. Jones still had nine touchdowns last season. He Tyra did. Williams has done what in how long? He is definitely, and he's and he's sitting there in Jacksonville in preseason, actually lighting it up too and taking advantage of the opportunities. He's a still a good wide receiver. I don't, you can't put him and Tyra Williams on the same stratosphere.
3: I say I don't think he's that much better. That's his point that's,
1: his career. that's ridiculous. But other than that. I don't, I don't understand why TJ Hawkinson doesn't have the potential in your mind to take a next step up because he has all the tools to do so. This is the third year. I expect a good breakout on top of the fact that he's in a Darren Waller-like situation when it comes to volume and target share.
3: I think he's in a little bit different situation because I think the volume is not quite the same thing. And The Raiders like to throw the ball a lot more than I think Detroit's going to throw the ball this year. Um, I think there's going to be regression in pass attempts overall and that's where I think when you look at traditionally, yes, it's kind of hit or miss a tight end position for the, like, the Saints offense where Matt Campbell comes from. Jimmy Graham was very much factored and utilized. Jared Cook sometimes was, sometimes wasn't. Last year, we didn't really see the tight ends really utilized at all in the passing game. Um, it, you go over the, the Chargers. Hunter Henry had never really had the, um, part of his injury, but never really was a prime utilization of him in the system. Anthony Lynch used the tight ends, yes. Hawkinson's going to be somebody that's going to be involved in the offense. I'm not going to argue he's not, but I just don't see that he's going to have this jump that I think male people expect. And I I still say he's in you know, his top six. I have him like six or seven, so it's not like I'm really you know really down on T.J. Hawkinson. I just don't have him as high as the upside, and I don't look at him as a guy that I feel like should have to be in the top five.
1: Yeah, I'm more giving you a hard time than anything else. But I uh, disagree nonetheless. However, these guys are all kind of in the same territory. He definitely has that upside potential. I think we can agree on that. But let's talk about somebody you have in your top five who I've been a big component of not drafting in the top five. Now, maybe maybe you have in the top five, but don't want to draft in the top five. I don't know. It's, but, but let me hit this button, and let's hear your argument. I want
3: the truth! You can't handle the truth!
1: Why is Kyle Pitts your top five?
3: Um, I have to go with Kyle Pitts as my top five, because I do rate him higher than Hawkinson. I do think he's going to have an opportunity to have be utilized heavily in the red zone. We've seen um, the new coach, Arthur Hawkinson Smith, no, but we've seen Arthur Smith be really successful utilizing his tight ends, and especially more effective in the red zone. I have to see where Detroit's going to kind of manifest itself, especially in the red zone. I think Pitts has the upside of touchdown potential. I think he has the upside in explosiveness and ability. I think he's more of a mismatch in Hawkinson. And I also think that we talked about Andrews and kind of why you liked Andrews a little bit less, and, or maybe you know, sharing kind of the, the wealth with the receivers. I actually think having better receivers helps tight ends because now you can't take away them and try to feature to stop stop them. Like Andrews Team's game plan to try to make it hard to throw him the ball. Hawkinson, if you're not really worried about, I'm sorry, it didn't work as well as you would hope to, but he still had some games where he wasn't as consistent as you wanted, you would expect him to be. Um, I just think that overall, when you look at Atlanta with Calvin Ridley, obviously they're the guy you have to feature and kind of take away. Pitts is going to face a a lot of defenses that aren't prepared for him. I don't love the idea of them flexing him out as consistently as they kind of talked about. But I do think Matt Ryan is look for the guy who can make, he can feature in the red zone. He's look for the mismatches. I trust the quarterback play more so. So I think the upside for me for Kyle Pitts is definitely there. And I don't think you really have Kyle Pitts much lower than five, but I also understand that you like Hawkinson a little more than I do.
1: Yeah. This is, this is kind of the the TJ Hawkinson situation flip flop for the two of us because I, I have Kyle Pitts at number seven. So I'm not hating on the guy. I don't want to see him get drafted as a top five tight end, though, because when you draft a guy as a top five tight end, you're talking about him drafted in the sixth round. I really have a strong feeling you're not going to get the return on your investment if you draft Kyle Pitts that high. And that's more my issue with everything else. I'm with you. I don't like the fact that he's going to get split out wide as much as they're talking about because that makes it easier to take him away. One of the big advantages a tight end has for getting open and not being able to be taken away in the game plan. is why Rob Gronkowski was great every year. It's why Mark Andrews, I think, is great every year is being able to get open off of blocks situations. The safety of the linebacker, they can't just stay with you if you sit there and block for a couple of seconds. They have to make their reads very, very quickly. Once you once you show blocking and you come off of a route after that, it's why tight ends can get open. It's why the great ones can get open. It's hard to scheme them away from a defensive perspective. It's easier to do it when they split out outside. Here's the other thing. Most people will probably won't agree with this. I would not be shocked if Hayden Hurst outsnaps Kyle Pitts this season because Kyle Pitts... Is not a good blocker yet. And I think that's going to dictate a little bit as far as what his overall upside is when it comes to tight end fantasy production. And that's a big factor in my mind as well. I love Arthur Smith too. I kind of question how good the Atlanta Falcons are going to be in general. Go ahead. Do
3: you think Matt Ryan's better quarterback than Jared Goff?
1: Honestly, without Julio Jones, I don't know. OK, I, I don't I don't without a Julio Jones. I don't know if he plays like he did last year without. Now, he's he's more set up to try to, you know, prepare for that this year. I don't know, I'm not trying to discount that. But if he plays like he did without Julio Jones last year, I don't think he is.
3: Do you think Atlanta's see where I think the difference for me is I think Atlanta, I trust their passing game a little bit more than I, just, I trust Detroit's game. And I also think that when you look, it's clearly that Kyle Pitts will be the second receiver utilized on offense. They really don't have a pass-catching running back. Davis can catch the ball a little bit, but he's nothing you have to like utilize a lot. And we both think Russell Gage is just a guy. So for me, Kyle Pitts has the opportunity between the volume, the defense not being that great, division they play in, where the safety play, safeties light up the Saints, safeties light up Carolina. So they, I think, man, so the safeties, tight ends light up the safeties of Carolina and New Orleans. Um, I think when you look at those common factors, for me. I just see Kyle Pitts having more upside and more of a consistent opportunity to be very successful. But I can understand that people have some concerns about him. I just think their physical talent, I, I agree with you, you shouldn't reach on him. I wouldn't take him in the sixth round. Um, I think there's too much other value there that you could take. But to me, I do have him with my number five tight end.
1: Now, again, I have him number seven, so I'm not trying to hate on Kyle Pitts. I love the player, by the way. You and I had this argument. You can go back to the NFL draft draft recordings where I said I would take Kyle Pitts even if he was listed as a wide receiver over Jamar Chase. But it's just the situation of it just takes tight ends a little bit longer in the NFL to be that highly productive. Now, 2022, 2023, we're talking about Kyle Pitts taking the torch from Travis Kelsey being the number one tight end overall. Am I going to be surprised by that? Absolutely not. He has great, great ability, great talent. I don't think he just goes off the chain right away this season as a bona fide draft him at top five. That, that's all. He has a potential for it. I would draft him for the potential of it, not for him to be the bona fide guy at it. That's why I have him at tight end seven. Okay. Let's move into our bus five. Let's talk about the guys that we you need to avoid. Don't overdraft them. And we'll start number five. So I have Zach Ertz. You have just Carolina tight ends, which mostly means Dan Arnold is he's predicted to be the starter. So go ahead, Chris. Go first. Talk about why the Carolina tight end or Dan Arnold in particular is a bust for you.
3: I just, I don't think this should be like, you know, too surprising for people, but there has been a lot of talk about Carolina trying to utilize tight end position. There's this love for Dan Arnold I never will quite understand. Um he's been he's threatened to be the breakout for the New Orleans Saints. He's threatened to be the breakout for Arizona Cardinals. He's a, a guy. He gets open a little bit. He's like a Blake Darwin type to me. Um, I just want to remind people that while there might be more of an effort to utilize tight end position, that Joe Brady has not yet really shown that he has done that. In college, we had you know Randy Moss's son caught I think what eight, eight, eight to ten balls or something like that the entire season. Yeah. Um, the guy that basically was a blocker. Mm-hmm. This offense has been to built to f- feed three receivers primarily and the running back position. With Christian McCaffrey returning, that's going to take away most of the volume that might be opportunity for tight ends to be involved. Don't get small. don't get smart, don't get cute, don't try to overthink it. You know, Dan talked about kind of adding tight ends and a variety of guys who might have sleepers. Dan Arnold is not a sleeper, so don't get it twisted.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Didn't we not hear all last summer how Dan Arnold was a sleeper tight end for the Arizona Cardinals? Look, he has some athletic ability. I get why people want to be excited, but what's the difference between him and Ian Thomas? Was an Ian Thomas involved? Has Sam Darnold ever consistently got the tight ends involved? Does Joe Brady get cons- the tight ends involved, as you pointed out? No, it's about the three wide receivers. It's going to be about the running back coming out of the backfield and Christian McCaffrey. I don't understand what the upside is there. So while they're not in my bust five, I'm 100% in agreement why they would be as far as being a sleeper aspect of it, which is what they kind of get dragged out to be. Now, my number five bust is Zach Ertz more so out of surprise than anything else, because I was shocked that Zach Ertz right now is the ADP 17 tight end, which makes him a mid-level two tight end in 12-man leagues, which makes him in the streaming category. Zach Ertz is not a streamer. I don't know what people... I know he's getting you know more targets than people thought he would throughout training camp with Jalen Hurts. I think that has more to do with DeMaza Smith missing time, Jalen Riker trying to get in condition and shape basically, but this should be the year that even if they're both on the field, Dallas Goddard is taking the lead at the tight end position. I don't think there's any question about that. I think if the Philadelphia Eagles get the opportunity, they will look to trade Zach Ertz. Now I don't know for sure. They definitely get that opportunity, but if the opportunity presents itself, they will do so. I think this preseason has had more to do with trying to put him on display than Zach Ertz truly being a streamable tight end, which is what you're saying to any tight end who's inside the top 18 in my mind. I have him ranked at tight end 29 ECR is a tight end 26. So I'm more in line with the expert consensus ranking as far as this guy shouldn't even be in your mind. And I think his name value is the only reason why he is.
3: Yeah, I I 100% agree. I mean, first of all, I have to see Zach Ertz be better than he was last year. He looked like his career was over in my book. I think that Zach Ertz he looked, looked like awful. he was
1: 40 years old and he hadn't even turned yeah. 30 yet.
3: He, he couldn't get separation. He was no explosiveness. I don't know if it was a mental thing, but he, he just looked terrible last year. Now you add that he might be getting more utilized this year. Well, that's kind of the system they brought into place. That's nice. Except for when you start thinking about how often that second tight is going to be on the field. You have some questions. Most of the talk out of campus are going to play a lot of three receiver sets. They, they love the Watkins kid, he's going to be the slot receiver. So when you have that basically in mind, you start wondering how much is Ertz going to be on the field, because Goddard definitely is number one tight end in that, there. And then you have the passing volume in general. This team's going to be definitely a run-force oriented team. They're not going to have a lot of 16, 17 play drives. They're not going to throw and, dunk, and dunk, dunk him down the field. So Zach Ertz has a lot of things that are going against him. And the biggest one is Carson Wentz is out of town. Carson Wentz loves Zach Ertz. That's why Zach Ertz's career took off the way that it did in a lot of ways. Um, he wasn't that he wasn't anything super special until Carson Wentz became the quarterback because he had, it was his guy. It's the guy he looked for in key situations. Jalen Hurts doesn't have that same rapport with him. He doesn't have that offense. This offense has nothing tied to him moving forward. So I look in so many different ways. I can't see Zach Ertz being somebody the number seventeen tight end. There's too much other value. Guys that we we pointed out before that we like. We'll, we'll point out later on the show who we like even more. I just think
1: he's not that guy. Yeah, 100% with you there. Moving up our bust list, we both have Rob Gronkowski as our number four bust. For me, it's all about the ADP. His ADP right now is tight end 12. So you're telling me in 12-man leagues, he is a tight end one. I think everyone's overlooking a a simple fact. Now, O.J. Howard is not as in shape. So him being in the equation is not as strong of an argument as it was for me originally, but still part of the equation. He still should get playing time at some point. The bigger thing is this, Antonio Brown. When Antonio Brown came on the second half of the season, you saw Rob Gorkowski's role get reduced to strictly touchdown only and really not even get more so utilized in the playoffs. So while Antonio Brown's presence didn't affect Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin's fantasy potential upside, it did affect Rob Gronkowski quite a bit during that stretch. Now you have him for the entire season. There's only so many places the ball can go. Let's not forget that GMI Bernard and the James White role is going to also command probably more targets than the running backs did a season ago, too. So I just don't see the volume without Rob Gronkowski, like so many other tight ends in this range, will be touchdown or bust. But I don't know if there's a four to his game this year. And that's why he's my number four bust.
3: Yeah, the OJ Howard news kind of made me question my thing at first, but then I thought about it, and to everything you're kind of pointing out, he's still at the very end of this food chain. Um, you look at the receivers are going to be involved. You see you talk about Gio being involved. And even if they have Gronk out there, you know, we're talking about kind of tight end splits and blocking guys. Grub Kronkowski was primarily just a blocker for the first half of the season last year. He wasn't really utilized. The game plan wasn't really part of him. And that was when Howard was healthy and Breit was out there. Now, if Howard's not really going to be what you expect him to be, he actually is not going to be even involved really probably blocking. So you might see more camera rate who's not a blocker. So you might even see Gronkowski when he has two tight end sets be this that com- primary guy who stays in and kind of chips and blocks and not really even get out and routes as much as you would like him to. There's too many downsides for him. I love his touchdown potential. I think there's gonna be certain games where he has a bloke, when he has basically he's able to everybody else is getting you know to pay attention to him and he's not. But overall, how you predict those games and the ADP where he is. You, there's too many other guys who I think are more consistent and have higher upside than Ron Karkowski does.
1: In agreement there. We move on. Hey, our number three is the same too. Irv Smith, number three bust for both of us. So Chris, why is Irv Smith your number three bust?
3: I go with Irv Smith because there seems to be the idea because Kyle Rudolph isn't there anymore. He's going to have this giant breakout season. Um, his ADP shot up the board. His, his people talk about him like he's going to be one of the sleeper tight ends you need to get your hands on. And while I love Earthsmith Jr.'s talent, I love him coming out of college, I don't love his fit on this, this offense. He's still going to be pretty much the third guy who's involved in the passing game, if that, um, because you're still going to see Galvin Cook be utilized more and more in the passing game at the backfield. And then you have the fact that they're still using him, I'm talking about using Conklin, so you're not going to have a clear-cut opportunity to always be the guy. Um, this liking like offensive line still in kind of flux, so he's going to probably ask to block a little bit more than you'd want him to. So all those different things were – for me, Irv Smith has the ability to be one of the best tight ends out there. He still doesn't have the fit or necessarily the opportunity to be that guy yet.
1: If you combine Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph last season, you're still talking about a mid-level tight end to So you're talking about a streamer at best if you combine two players in the one. They don't utilize the tight end enough. This offense is based around Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. That's what this offense is based off of. I love Ersman's talent. I really do. I was very excited when the Minnesota Vikings drafted him initially until I saw that suddenly this Kubiak-Stefanski offense doesn't really utilize the tight end as much anymore. I'm not really sure why that is. They used to, but it doesn't really happen that much now. His ADP at the moment is tight end 14. You're telling me he's a high-end tight end too? Public ECR has him a tight end 13. So the experts are right there with the public on top of it. I got him a tight end 20. There's not a lot of upside unless they change their overall philosophy to what we've seen the past three seasons. I don't see where the upside is with Irv Smith. There's usually not room for a third pass catcher in this offense. So that's why for me, Irv Smith winds up being a number three bust. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, get a word in from our sponsor, come back on the other side with our next top two busts our Sleeper 5, and then the mailbag segment. So stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, and we'll be right back after this.
2: One of the best sponsors of the show is named Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol, where Wall Street meet sports gambling in this innovative app. The symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. Well, when they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the sports book edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download Symbol and again use the promo code MDS Fantasy for your $10 deposit bonus today.
0: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
1: What up, MD Nation? We're back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming live to you on social media at Belly Up, MDFF Show, live on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. Subscribe because we always come out with a bunch of content, little one-minute clips for you guys and full episodes. And make sure you got the notifications on social media too, because we got those player news update notifications for you. We're making sure that you get the edge over your competition as always i'm your host dan mader joining here at chris dowhauer we're going to be live tonight at 6 to 7 30 on the unhinged radio sports network 24 7 radio sports talk one of the best out there in the industry so make sure you tune in there at unhinged sn.airtime.pro we're continuing on here with our best five bus five sleeper five tight ends we'll get to our top two bust five tight ends now We'll just get this one out the way because we already spent some time talking about him. I have Kyle Pitts in my number two. Again, this goes back to just making sure you don't draft him too high. His ADP is tight end four. He winds up getting drafted in the fifth, sixth round as a result of that. The note I have here is that he should be getting drafted in the seventh, eighth round, which is where you see guys like Noah Fant go. That's more he should be drafted as with the hope of upside for the top five end, not the expectation of. Just to kind of recap that, if you need to go back, download us on your favorite post streaming app, go back and listen to our Kyle Pitts thing during the top five, uh, best five sleeper tight ends or best five tight ends overall that we talked about with Chris having his best five. So let's talk about your number two tight end, Chris, which is Austin Hooper, which I agree with. I'm kind of surprised I didn't put him in my top five bust, to be honest with you. But why do you have him as your number two?
3: Because Austin Hooper is just a guy, as I talked about before, and where he even flows on his offense, there's just no op- there's an opportunity for him to really be successful. A lot of people want to get back on the Austin Hooper train after last year's kind of debacle. You know, Right now, you have three tight ends that are probably going to be involved for the Cleveland Browns. They have the Bryant kid they drafted last year. You have Njuku playing you know, out there as well now. And then you have Hooper, and everything out of camp saying Njuku looks like the best tight end on the field even a guy who's not really planned to be on the for the future of the Browns. Oh, and then, by the way, OBJ is back and healthy. So you have all these different guys who are already going to be kind of fall ahead of him or be utilized with him, and then you have a cream hunt coming out of the backfield. You have Jarvis Landry. You have a system that we talked about really doesn't seem to utilize tight end position much as we would expect him to. So all those different things, the return of Austin Hooper ain't happening. So Austin Hooper needs to be somebody that people aren't drafting, and it kind of goes to your point about where some of the tight ends are going. I like Kyle Pitts in my top five, but I also think that people are kind of – at the top three tight ends, guys, it's not, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. So don't get it twisted. Don't reach for a tight end too early. You don't want to be drafted on any tight ends, probably any of them, before the seventh, eighth round because there's nobody who's clearly cut that much better than the NAI you can get. Many more sleepers, much more of a chance to kind of guys you're going to stream. So if you're not getting a top three, don't reach. While well, like Kelsey I said you know possibly the first round, having an advanced position, you don't have that clear-cut advantage with some of these guys that people are reaching
1: on. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Austin Hooper, he gets paid like when he's one of the top tight ends in the league, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything when it comes to the production. Harrison Bryant's a real thing. I think Harrison Bryant's more talented than Austin Hooper. I think Cleveland's kind of figuring that out. Let's not forget they have David Joku still. I don't know what reason, but they still have him, and they still play him for a handful of times. Yeah, I'm with you on Austin Hooper there. So let's get to our number one bust. I have Logan Thomas. You have Noah Fant. I think we have these guys as our number one bust for similar reasons. But Chris, Noah Fant, your number one bust. Talked about it a little bit already, but make your full argument here.
3: Yeah, I talked about it in the beginning of the show, just and even last yesterday's show. I think Noah Fant has a lot of skills has a lot of talent. I think he's a mismatch. Having said all that, there's so many different mouths to feed on this Denver offense. And a position that's not really necessarily going to be featured, they're going to have two tight ends out there more often than they have in the past as well. You have know, running backs who you're going to kind of, in tandem, Melvin Gordon, but John DeBose will catch the ball out of the backfield. There's just too many mouths to feed for you to be picking Noah Fant where he's going. Noah Fant going in seventh, eighth round because people like his skill set is something that you just can't be doing. And the guy hasn't had the potential – has potential, all the you know, potential in the world, I should say. But last year, he didn't really have the production to match that potential yet. And he had more opportunity last year than he will ever have, probably have this year to shine out and be featured part of the offense. So for me, Noah Fant's a guy I love. I love his talent, but it's not a guy I'm reaching on. It's not a guy I'm going to bank on being a tight end one for you.
1: Yeah, you're right. He had more opportunity last year than he probably ever would. Now, I know he was banged up for a lot of the season, but he still played 15 games. There was no Carlton Sutton. KJ Hamler was in and out. Your number one target was a rookie wide receiver in Jerry Judy. And by the end of the season, you're reduced to mostly just Melvin, Melvin Gordon. Last year, he's tight end 12. So, I have him as a top 10 tight end, but again, I have him he's going to be an inconsistent one because of the pass catchers. How high of a volume passing attack can you really expect Denver to have? Outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't see too many offenses out there putting up a ton of points on this defense. This defense is going to be really, really good for Denver, and that he plays has good
3: safeties out west for, for a change,
1: right. And that's going to play a big role on top of all the mouths you have to feed with Cortland Sutton back, occasionally Hamlin in second year, Jerry Judy in second year, the addition of Javante Williams on top of it. And the fact that quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, you're not going to have a high volume passing attack, I believe, at the end of the day. So I'm kind of with you there on Noah Fant. Like I said, Kyle Pitts should be getting drafted where Noah Fant currently is being drafted overall, which is that seventh days round. I think Noah Fant belongs in that ninth, 10th round territory. You take him there, I'm fine. Because again, I have him as a top 10 tight end. But don't take him with the expectation that he belongs in the top eight rounds. Kind of is my argument when it comes to Logan Thomas. Now, I have a little bit more of an in-depth argument with him here too, which is his ADP is tight end 9. ECR has him ranked at tight end 8. I have him ranked at tight end 16. So I have him much lower than everybody else. I don't care that he got paid. I don't care that Washington has maybe Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, running backs. Not, not, not the top-end weapons of the world that you would necessarily need to take away a ton of volume. I don't trust journeyman players. I've seen journeyman players have a good season, get paid before, and then return to what they've always been, which is a journeyman player. I think Logan Thomas has a nice athletic skill set. The only thing going for him is that Fitzpatrick was able to get Mike Kosicki as a top 10 tight end over the past two years, which is the first time he ever held a tight end relevant. But Scott Turner has a history of not getting tight ends involved. That's why the Ian Thomas breakout never happened. You you add a Curtis Samuel. You have Antonio Gibson. We saw last year when JD McKissick got involved the way he did with Alex Smith, Logan Thomas wasn't as good towards the back half of the year last year. I just think there's a real floor opportunity here in front of Logan Thomas, and I have him much lower than consensus. I don't have him in the top 10, and I think he returns to what he truly is as a player, which is a nice athletic skill set, but not a guy you feature in your offense.
3: Yeah, I mean, I can't argue strongly with it. I'm I'm okay with Logan Thomas. I think he's going to be, more than likely probably finishes a top tight end, top 10 tight end just because I think the volume will be there and he's kind of fit in the offense. But he doesn't do anything special. He's a little bit older. I do think they're going to try to rationalize the contract a little more maybe than you do, but I can understand the, the concerns about him because he's not a guy that should be going as high as he is in a lot of drafts. and he's definitely a guy that you can't just bank on because he was productive last year. He had a lot of things fall his way last year. The receiving core was banged up. Alex Smith became the quarterback who was check, captain checked check down when it was the running backs tight ends primarily. So, a lot of things basically added up for him to be successful. You can't guarantee it's going to happen again this year. So, I can understand having one of the people that you're down, we're down on.
1: Let's talk about the people we're up on. Let's talk about our sleepers. The sleepers, Chris, you got Robert Tanyan number five. Why is he a sleeper on your board? So Robert Tanya was a top three
3: scoring tight end last year, and everybody seems to kind of forgot about that. He's been all over people, he's below people like Noah Fant, he's below people like Irv Smith. Um, I understand the concern about the touchdown regression, and that maybe he's not as efficiently scoring touchdowns like he would be as he was last year. But I think you're gonna see more of an increase in volume. Therefore, I don't think the touchdowns are necessarily gonna reduce like people are expecting him to. I think that he when he, we look at his offense, it really didn't change or upgrade much. Randall Cobb to me doesn't scare me. I think Randall Cobb is basically done. Um, but Aaron Rodgers has like utilized a tight end position. This is one of the guys he trusts out there, and we kind of saw Alozard guy kind of that bust out year last year because it was somebody Aaron Rodgers trusts. And Robert Tony has been that guy. He catches the catches everything thrown to me. I think one drop the entire season last year. They said he hasn't had a drop yet in camp because he's like he just is great with his hands and that Aaron Rodgers continues to look, utilize him a lot in the red zone is a guy he trusts, especially on third down situations. So all those different things, I think Robert Talion, somebody people just kind of forgot about. They just assumed why a lot of touchdowns last year. He's not going to do that again, but this is a guy that this offense can feature. This offense can utilize and a quarterback. who's going to have to be able to spread the ball around and find the mismatches. So I think he has a lot of upside. So he's my like number five on the board.
1: Yesterday in smoke and fire episode, Go back and listen on your favorite pod streaming app. We talked about, we had a question. One of the nerves was, is there going to be a top 36 wide second wide receiver on the Packers? And my response to that was smoke. Why? Because I think Robert Tanya is actually going to be one of being the second best pass catcher on this team for everything. You kind of just listed out. Now, do I expect a touchdown regression? Yeah. Do I think he gets double the touchdowns? No, I don't. Again, I have a regression for Aaron Rodgers coming back to his career normal-ish for as far as his touchdowns go. But do I expect him to get eight-plus? Yeah. Do I expect him to get more than 600 yards or I expect him to get in the 700, 800-yard territory? Yeah. That would be an improvement over last season. So that's why I'm with you. Robert Tunyon's inside my top 12. He is going a little bit lower than that. But I think people are just like, you're not going to get the touchdowns, but discounting the fact that this guy might get more catches, might get more yards. And I don't know why that gets thrown out the window with a Robert Tanyan and Aaron Rodgers in this Green Bay Packer offense.
3: I was going to say, the offense in general, we heard so much hype about Jay Stenberger going into last year. Where's Jay Stenberger at now? What did he do? But, so, but the idea of him being able to be somebody in that offense set very clearly everybody, but now also Robert Tanyan is just a guy and they forgot about him.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to wind up being the second best pass Well, I'll say third, because I think the second best pass catcher is actually Aaron Jones. But I'll say third on the team overall. Uh, for me, my number five sleeper is Eric Ebron. This is purely just because of where he's going ADP-wise. They Everyone's written him off and even more so after the last pre preseason game because you had Pat Freermuth go for two passing touchdowns or two receiving touchdowns, I should say, in that matchup, which I loved even more because now you're just going to sleep on Eric Ebron even more. His ADP as it stands on right now is tight end 28, ECR tight end 25. I have a tight end 18. Finished last year's tight end 15, even with all the weapons in the world and all the wide receivers, still finished as tight end 15 last year. Ben likes to find his guys. Ebron will still get to play that primary pass-catching tight end role. I have no doubt about that. He'll get targeted in the red zone. Yes, he'll be touchdown or bust, but that's what all these, you know, from 13 through, really, well, from 12 through 18 tight ends, they're all touchdown and bust guys. It's not going to be any different with Eric Ebron. He still gets his, even within this offense, to have him not even as a, considerable streaming tight end, which is basically where he's ranked at as of right now is an egregious mistake given his athletic ability, Ben Roethlisberger's history and the Steelers history with tight ends. And it's also a mistake to assume that Pat Freermuth is going to be this involved as a rookie tight end.
3: Yeah, I think you make all excellent points. I'm not a huge Ebron fan, but having said all that, I think that if you're going to have Rom Gronkowski as somebody that people have as high as they do on their boards, There's no argument you can make that Gronkowski should be as high as he is if Ebron shouldn't be that that somehow still that low because he's going to just be just as much involved. He has just as much of a mismatch opportunity. He has a quarterback who loves throw to the tight end position. So he's got a lot of chances to be just as successful as any other tight ends we talked about.
1: Uh, Wrong graphic there. We got. um, So I have Jared Cook as my number four sleeper. You have Anthony Firkser. So Anthony Furkser, I like a lot as a sleeper tight end here. He's somebody's not getting drafted. He's somebody I don't think you have to draft, but he's somebody I think you should pay attention to. So why is he your top four guy?
3: I kind of it's kind of what you just kind of talked about. He's not even being drafted. I think that when you look at the opportunity for him, he definitely has still has a chance. He's not gonna be forgotten, but the tight end position is still gonna be used. Yes, Arthur Smith's not there, but we saw the tight ends be very effective for this team. You have Janu Smith move on. leaves a decent amount of volume opportunity for Forkster. Firkster was productive when he played last year. So all the different things between Hollywood and, and A.J. Brown have a lot of injury concerns as it is. A guy who's going to pretty much be on the tight end out there now. And an offense that Ryan Tannehill likes to utilize the tight end position. I think you have an opportunity for this guy to really be kind of coming out of nowhere, so to speak, for people and being productive and actually a guy you can stream or even have in your lineup here or there.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. The touchdown vacancy is there. The tight end room is there. I mean, Todd Downing, we both agree, he's not an Arthur Smith, but he's still a tight ends coach. I think he's not going to try to use Anthony Berkshire, especially in the red zone. He's going to be right in that laundry list of guys that I think you're going to see as touchdown boomer bust guys that you can stream on a week-to-week basis. Doesn't all have to go to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. So I kind of like Anthony Berkshire quite a bit as a deep sleeper guy who you're going to be able to stream off the waiver wire. Now, my number four... Is Jared Cook. It's a mixture of familiarity with the offensive system. A mixture of there's targets that can be had. There's not a second or third wide receiver that demand a high number of targets outside of Keenan Allen, in my opinion, for the Chargers. He's a guy who can stretch the seam. Justin Herbert likes to throw the ball down the field. So there's just upside potential for me when it comes with Jared Cook. His ADP right now is tight end 21. Ecr, he's tight end 22. I have him as tight end 13. He finished as tight end 17 last year, and I think we can all agree we were disappointed by the lack of volume that he saw a season ago with Drew Brees and then Taysom hill, having to take over four games. There's definitely a floor with Jared Cook, but he's another guy you don't necessarily have to draft. I think he's going to be a high-end sleeper, a high-end streamer, who you can draft in your last round to get things started off. I think there's definitely an upside there when it comes to Jared Cook in this scheme, in this situation.
3: Yeah, I can't argue strongly that it's not. I mean, I'm not a big Jared Cook fan. I, I think that his best days are definitely behind him. He's never been a consistent guy as it is. I do you know that they like the part of him kid who backs him up right now, maybe he has an opportunity to get more playing time. He's more of a, a physical mismatch than Jared Cook is in a sense. But I don't disagree that Cook has an opportunity to have some decent weeks here or there. They didn't do a whole lot to address the receiver position. You do have Austin Eckler coming back, though, so it might be interesting to see how much of that kind of you know targets he kind of eats up. Um, but I think that overall he has some upside. But I think what, him finishing tight end 16, I think to me, just kind of shows you just how volatile it is after those top tight ends. And that's why you can't necessarily bank on any of these guys that we reach and that we kind of keep hitting on as much as people seem to be on some of the tight end positions.
1: Well, yeah, that's why you, you really when it comes to the tight ends and trying to you know figure out which ones are streamers and everything like that, you do get in that cluster range there at the mid level two tight end situation where you kind of just have to like, all right, who has the best opportunity in front of them and just go off of that? Because it's I mean, let's be real. It gets to a point where it's just touchdown or bust with a lot of these guys mm-hmm. anyway, uh, but moving up the board at our sleeper tight end. I have Janu Smith as my number three. You still have Adam Troutman. So I guess there's two questions here. We'll start with you. Uh, Is the injury any concern of you with Adam Troutman? And then you know, the targets we talked about a little bit in yesterday's episode. You're not really concerned about that in the preseason. But how this Saints offense looks like it's shaping up with Jameis Winston presumably being the starter. How does that all configure into your Adam Troutman being your number three sleeper?
3: So, I'm going with this. I made this list a little bit before the injury broke, news broke out. Um, I'm a little bit more concerned, like, as I kind of expressed in, on the show earlier, that Adam Troutman's a guy that I, I kind of have. If he misses too much practice or he misses too many weeks, he could be kind of the forgotten guy. And this offense, because other guys are kind of rising up and showing out. Like, Jawan Johnson's definitely been more involved in the passing game. He's clearly a pass catcher. While Troutman could definitely do a better job blocking Johnson can't block his shadow. So he had more of a role. We utilize special fantasy purposes. Um, but I still have him up in my top three because when I think about it, we know James loves his tight end. We know that Adam Troutman has a, a good skill set. This guy can do a little bit of everything. He is a bit of a mismatch. As I pointed out with some of the other tight ends in that division, you have teams that are just awful, awful defending the tight end position, especially last year. So you have opportunity to kind of some upside. Um, and I think that you have – a volume opportunity there. The Saints defense isn't quite going to be as good as it has been the last couple of years, I don't think. So they're going to, have to be a little bit more of a shoot opportunity where I can see Troutman having more of an opportunity to get the production that you're looking for um, more of an upside consistently because I think the offense in general is going to, have to score a little more points than they have had to. So all those different things, I still keep out of Troutman on my board as long as he doesn't miss too much time. I do think he's clearly the best tight end they have. I think he's one of the better red zone targets they have. And I love the skill set overall as not come coming out of the draft and I hope that he an opportunity to shine.
1: I mean, if you're watching this live at belly up MDF show or on YouTube, you'll see that I had Adam Troutman as my number two sleeper tight end. I, I go off of what you just said, but also I'm going to add a couple of things. One, James Winston likes to hit his tight ends in the red zone. And I do think James Winston's going to be the starting quarterback Two, Adam Troutman can block. And that is a great way to stay on the field in every situation. So even though Jawan Thompson was getting involved and yes. having that role, what'd I say?
3: You keep saying Thompson. It's Jawan Johnson.
1: Sorry, Johnson. My bad. Johnson, I'm pulling a U you right now, actually. With the, I know. The name so the I a- heard it earlier.
0: But
1: it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Jawan John Johnson. Thank you. But even though he was, you know, flashing a little bit in preseason, Troutman's going to be on the field all the time. And here's what I liked about Troutman coming out of Dayton. I knew he was going to be on the field early because he could block. But he also has that athletic skill set. This is a true pass catcher, a true mismatch for a lot of teams his ADP tight end, 19 ECR tight end, 18. I have him ranked at tight end 10. Now we still got to get some clarification on the injury. If it comes out and he's going to miss more than one to three weeks and I'm with you, this is going to have to change, but as it stands right now, that's the expected timeline that we have. So he still is in play for week one, Adam Troutman. There's still a vacancy when it comes to wide receiver targets available for the saints I'm going to put my money on him when you start to talk about these later round tight ends. And that's why he's my number two guy and your number three guy. However, we didn't talk about my number three guy. My number three guy is Janu Smith. This has been a uh, a fantasy disaster, fantasy oversight, fantasy ridiculousness. You can say throughout the industry when it comes to Janu Smith. His ADP is tight end 15. It was tight end 14 two weeks ago. It went down, Chris, not up. It went down a spot in ADP 15. ECR still has him at tight end 14. That's the only thing that didn't change. I have him ranked as tight end 12. And that's me being, I feel like, on the safe side. Because I think he has top 10 potential. There's a real chance Janu Smith is the number one pass catcher on New England Patriots. I don't care if Cam Newton is the starting quarterback for the entire season. It doesn't hinder Janu Smith. Cam can't throw it down the field. Okay. How far down the field is Janus Smith running? Is he, is he taking the seam? Is he going 90 yards? No, he's not. He's operating within the 12-yard space of which Cam Newton's arm can still get the ball, too. And he's operating in the red zone, where there's going to be lots of play action, RPO built off of that. It's going to be Hunter Henry Janus Smith show. Josh McDaniels has the history of being able to feature two tight ends in the same offense. So I'm not worried about Hunter Henry, who by the way, his ADP is still ahead of Janus Smith, even with the injury that he suffered, which is absolutely ridiculous, but it still is as it stands today. Janus Smith is a athletic freak who can block and be on the field at all times. Showed you last year, finished as a top 10 tight end last year by basically just scoring eight touchdowns wasn't featured the way he's going to be featured with new England Patriots. And yet people are telling me he's a mid-level tight end too.
3: Yeah. I, I, we're 100% on the same page. I mean, we're going to get to my, my top number one guys, but Janu Smith definitely part of that equation. I don't understand the hatred for Janu Smith. I don't understand the rhetoric around him that he's going to not be productive because cam and the system, blah, blah, blah. They weren't in a pass-oriented He wasn't in the pass-oriented team last year. We both all we all agree that we know that Tennessee is built around Eric Henry in the running game. He wasn't a guy who even split just time with one other tight end. He split time with two other tight ends. So he was a rotation of three different guys. And as you pointed out, still finished in the top ten. So now you add him to, to the Patriots where we have a coaching staff that knows how to use him. He's got a clear opportunity to be on the field consistently. We have a guy who got paid to be a true part of the offense. And then Cam Newton, who while his arm isn't what it used to be everywhere he's ever played is always loved to throw the ball to the tight end position when he can. So all the different things to me is just, it's asinine that new Smith is still being forgotten about still being written off. And of all the guys in all the markets, I can't believe it's happening because Patriots always hype the hell out of somebody. There was a backup 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 tight end two or three years ago that everyone was talking about because he had a couple catches in, in practice. And now suddenly Janu Smith is going to be some nobody because they don't, they don't throw the ball enough or because Cam Newton's a quarterback. The narrative just doesn't make any sense.
2: Bill Belichick was hyping up
1: Janu Smith when he was a Tennessee Titan. That's how, you know, he loves the guy. Like let's not discount that factor either. Okay. So let's get into our number one guy. You have it being the New England tight end, which we just kind of talked about. Well, I'm sorry. We skipped over your Gerald Everett at number two. You talk about Gerald Everett as your number two sleeper tight end.
3: Yeah. Gerald Everett, I think when you're going to talk about your number one guy, is he's got opportunity to be the guy. Instead of always having to split some time with Higby, a guy who's a very similar skill set, this guy should be the primary pass catcher for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I think we, Will Disley does return from his injury, but Will Disley is more of a blocking type of tight end. He had a kind of you know opportunity in the red zone, and he was effective a couple of years ago. But I think Everett clearly a better all-around receiving an option for them. I think he's got opportunity to kind of shine out in this offense. We both love the fit for Russell Wilson. We both love the fit of the offense in general for this team. And then you kind of look at the tight end position how it was utilized. Everett has a, a familiarity with the coaching staff. He's got an opportunity basically to be that drag guy coming through. They don't have a strong third receiver necessarily in place yet. And we know DK Metcalf and Ty Locker are going to get a lot of attention. So all those different things, this guy's going to kind of forgotten about. You know, his ADP is ridiculously low in my book. And it's somebody I think that people can actually really consider having in their lineups and be happy with week in, week out.
1: Yeah, Joe Everett is definitely one of those dart throws that I have highlighted at the end of drafts or just after the draft, as far as tight end streamers go. He's kind of in that Anthony Fergster territory for me. Uh, you know, Will Disley, unfortunately, has just not been able to stay healthy. He's in one major injury after another. Somebody's going to emerge. Russell Wilson does like to go to a tight end, especially in the red zone. If he has one, he feels like he can go too. I don't see why, given the depth chart of Seattle right now, why that would not be anybody besides a Gerald Everett. And he, we know he has the, past, the athletic skill set. So he's an interesting sleeper, definitely an interesting name. And I do like him being your number two guy right there. And you're right. He goes hand in hand with my number one guy, which is Tyler Higbee. Tyler Higbee was a number one tight end when Joe Everett was not around with Jared Goff in the same offensive system, you upgrade a quarterback, you get rid of jailed Everett. You're still in the Sean McVay system that likes to use the tight end in the red zone. And Stafford already has that history of utilizing the tight end when he has the opportunity to do so. And I give you my tight end eight on the board. His ADP right now is tight end 11 ECR is tight end 11. I think he's squarely a top 10 tight end He's on the field all the time because he can block. I think there's an outside chance that he actually gets over 100 targets this season on top of it. Because you have Robert Woods, you have Cooper Cup, they're going to get featured. But you don't have a third receiver who demands a ton of targets. Even if it's it's Sean Jackson, 2-2 Atwell, Van Jefferson, whatever the combination winds up being between those three, it's still going to be an afterthought, I think, after... A Tyler Higbee as far as the target pecking list goes. So that's why Tyler Higby is my number one sleeper. Cause I think this guy legitimately could finish in the top six or five. Even I have him at tight end eight. I love the upside. I love the even more so, which you can't really find outside of the top five tight ends. Normally speaking, I love the consistency that I think he's going to be able to bring to the table this season.
3: Yeah. And I think that kind of Eric Ebron point earlier, Having a quarterback who loves to feature the tight end in the red zone particularly is really nice um, for the tight ends that have some upside because you know that the consistency factor can be there for these guys. They're not going to just have one touchdown here or there. They're going to be a guy who's primarily had a front to score a touchdown every game because the quarterback loves to go to the tight end position once they get inside that red zone. All
1: right, guys, guess what time it is. Maltime,
2: Maltime. The mail's here.
1: Now, we didn't get to do it yesterday, so we are going to have a bit of an extended mailbag segment here today. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag show or you just need a fantasy question or comment answered or rebuttaled for whatever the case may be, we're here to help you out. So just hit us up on social media, at BillyUpMDFFShow, wherever, and we will get you the answers you need and help you get the edge on your competition. So yesterday's mailbag show, uh, our first question was kebab. Round two, pick eight, would you take Najee Harris, D.K. Metcalf, Calvin Ridley, or Antonio Gibson? Let's assume this is from a half-point PPR standpoint.
3: So I might be a little controversial here, but I would Najee Harris because I think he has the guy that I feel like can be utilized in the passing game, can be utilized in the red zone, and has the ability to be the running back one. For the team i think gibson we kind of talked about yesterday's show has a little bit of learning still to do the receivers i like but i think for me i would go with that that running back position
1: for me it would be gibson i have gibson ranked the highest out of this bunch the upside with gibson i think is just more there i think you have a better chance for bigger plays i think there is a scenario by the end of the season you're not going to see jd mcassick anymore I think there's a shot that that does happen. So that's why I have Antonio Gibson ranked a little bit ahead of Najee Harris. That Pittsburgh Steelers offense line just bothers me. And I think Najee Harris is going to be good, but I think he's going to be good. Like Josh Jacobs. Good. We're like, you're getting a ton of volume. So you're good but you don't necessarily have those big explosive game type of good. And Antonio Gibson, being that he was able to be a top 10 running back for a stretch last season when he wasn't even getting a ton of touches, I do think this is a year where he's looking at 18 touches a game minimum. So I do think Antonio Gibson wants to be my top guy if he's there. I would be surprised, however, if he's there at the eighth pick in your second round, though. So that's where it gets a little more uh, interesting for me as far as that standpoint is. Next up, Jordy. Is Rashad Bateman worth a pickup or stash after the draft? If he
3: have the roster space, it's not something necessarily bad to be able to do. If you can put some guy on the IR and say like a Michael Thomas or something, and you can kind of have him on your team to start off the season, it's not going to hurt you. Um, I like We both really are big Bateman fans. We just have concerns about how often and how consistently he's going to eat this offense, particularly that first year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't this is a guy who might not play until the end of September, maybe early October. I don't know how much of a need you're going to want to have to, to st- pick up and stash him. I just, I don't understand the reasoning there. You want to put him in your watch list. Fine. Uh, is there a scenario where somebody emerges? Could that be Rashad Bateman towards the end of the season? Sure. But as it stands right now with when he's going to wind up playing, given the offense that he's in, I don't see a reason why you should be that interested in trying to pick up and stash him in a regular twelve man, you know, half point PPR redraft league. I, I don't really see the need for it.
3: I would say the only reason like similar to one of our leagues or two releases we play, we have keepers. So if he's a guy you have to have, you have to draft to keep for next year. That's a possibility.
1: Right, but um, if you don't, then I don't see the reason for it. Uh, Sweeney, he asked me Clyde Edwards Alaire or Chris Carson. Which do you prefer to draft this year?
3: Well, I definitely stand with Cl- uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has the opportunity to have a breakout year in a lot of ways this year. I love what the Chiefs did offensive line-wise, and they're going to be a little more utilized and rush a little bit more, and I think we actually get the ball in the passing game some more, too. So, overall, I like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's not that I want Chris Carson. I just think Edward Edwards-Hilaire is more the guy I want who in this offense.
1: Yeah, I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ranked ahead of Chris Carson. Uh, I think they're similar as far as what they're going to give you from – you know, the overall volume perspective, both the main runners, both the main pass catchers. Maybe Carson has a little more upside as far as touchdowns go, but I think Clyde Rizler is going to wind up seeing a little more, a few more touches overall than Chris Carson will, maybe a few more receptions. Uh, so it's kind of go based off of that, but I do have Clyde Rizler higher tires. So that's, that's where I would go there, especially when you're talking about probably the second round in this scenario on a 12 man league. Next up, Gary, Mike Evans or Amari Cooper.
3: I go with Mike Evans. I had Mike Evans as my top five receiver last last week when we talked about our receivers, and I think Mike Evans is going to have a huge year this year. I think that you know Tom Brady trusts him. He's definitely going to utilize him in the red zone. I think he's even more effective as the kind of season went on last year. I think you're going to, continue to see them build off this year, and he's supposed to pose the books more explosive than he has in a while.
1: Well, I was going to add that point. I mean, Mike Evans. I do have him ranked higher than Amari Cooper. The difference between you know Mike Evans and Amari Cooper in my book, the main one anyway, is that. There's a good chance that, you know, C.D. Lamb could wind up leading that team in touchdowns, maybe even yards. Maybe Cooper gets more receptions. Mike Evans, to me, is definitely going to be the touchdown leader. If nothing else, Tampa Bay, he should get over 1,000 yards again. He should be looking at 85-plus receptions again. He's as consistent as they come. And then you add in the fact that there's been a ton of reports about him looking like he's in the best physical shape of his life coming into this season. under the second year of Tom Brady, and this offense getting a chance to actually get some continuity before the season starts with the way Brady used him last year. Yeah, I just think the ceiling's a little bit higher there for Mike Evans. Why have him ranked ahead of Amari Cooper? Both really good, but I would take a Mike Evans there too. So that was the mailbag segment from yesterday. The poll question from yesterday was this. If you're picking between 7 and 10 in a 12-man half-point PPR league in the first round, who are you taking? And my options were Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs. Devontae Adams had 33% of the vote. Aaron Jones, 32, Nick Chubb, 25, Stefan Diggs, 10. Now I agree for me, it was one of the two Packers in this scenario. However, I disagree that the one, per, the extra 1% was Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones should be the guy getting ra- uh, ranked and drafted ahead of Devontae Adams, especially with the vacancy that Jamal Williams leaves Aaron Jones has finished in the top five each of the last two years, the running back position. And now this year he's in a situation where he should have a higher floor and a higher consistency from week to week. Now he doesn't have to worry about Jamal Williams coming in and stealing his past receptions.
3: Yeah, this is one of the hardest questions for me because I have these guys all kind of bunched together as it is. Um, I, 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 why I'm going with Devontae Williams. I kinda of agree with MD Nation. Not Devontae Williams, sorry. Devontae Adams. Um, I went kind of with MD Nation on this one because I just think his consistency factor is so, so crucial. He's gonna always be one of the double digit touchdown score out there. He has been four out of the past five years. Aaron Rodgers is gonna stop throwing him the ball. This is the contract year, got everything he's basically playing for. Well, I think Aaron Jones has some upside touchdowns have kind of limited why I think I would take Adams over him because I think Adams is the guy that you're always going to have. It's definitely going to be double to touchdowns where I still think Jones will kind of sniff it. It's not guaranteed that he gets it.
1: I completely disagree with that. I don't even know where you're picking that up from. He's always been a double to touchdown digit guy overall. I don't think that changes suddenly this year with had, extra volume.
3: Aaron Jones, he's always been a double to touchdown scorer.
1: Overall between uh, rushing and receiving. I, mean, I
3: think he had wait, 11 last year. I think that was his career high. Oh, no, I'm sorry, his year before he had, had a decent amount. He only had nine
1: rushing Oh, He scratched two last year. Okay. okay. So are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. He gotcha. yeah. had 16 rushing touchdowns in 2019 plus three receiving touchdowns. That's why I don't get where you're not getting the touchdown thing. Nine rushing touchdowns last year plus two receiving touchdowns. So he's, double, d- he's a double digit touchdown guy. I, I don't know where you're not getting that from. Uh, so that's why I definitely go Aaron Jones. Now, today's mailbag segment that we can get into quickly. Uh, Steve, he asked Mike Davis or Michael Carter to win now. You might be talking about this from a dynasty league. doesn't really specify, but the, to win now is kind of interesting. So Mike Davis or Michael Carter to win now in 2021?
3: I love Michael Carter, but I would go with Michael Davis in this situation. If you want a guy that you can definitely bank on, especially in the beginning of the season, you know what he's going to get and probably have a decent RB3 value, flex play, even maybe RB2. You probably go with Davis. I love, I love Carter's upside. I love his skill set. I think there's too many questions where he kind of flows in the offense, as versus where you're going to see Davis clearly is the number one running back with no threat to taking his job at Atlanta at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. The volume. We know what Mike Davis is going to get. Michael Carter maybe he takes over the volume by the end of the season, but it's always going to be a question mark to some degree. Jason, Deontay Johnson or Tyler Lockett?
3: So I would go with Deontay Johnson. I keep predicting that Deontay Johnson have his breakout year this year. I expect that this is going to be the season where we see how a specialist guy can really be. Specialist he cuts down on the you know, the drops. Um, I think he's going to be Ben's favorite target. We've seen the receivers, you know, excel when they're Ben's favorite target. So I think Deontay Johnson, and I would take. But I don't think you know it's a, a huge separation between the two.
1: No, I mean Deontay Johnson might be more consistent from a week to week basis, but Tyler Lockett has consistently finished ahead of him and more receptions than him by the end of the year. It's just a matter of which one are you looking for. I would lean Tyler Lockett. I agree with you, though. They're both pretty similar to each other. Troy, Dynasty, PPR, Bateman or Michael Pittman?
3: Dynasty, I'm taking Bateman. Um, I think that he's got the clear future. I think he is the future receiver in on Baltimore. I love Lamar's upside with him. Um, I think Pittman's going to be a good receiver. I just don't know if he'll ever be that true number one receiver for them.
1: Uh, he's a tremendous talent. Bateman's definitely the better talent. If Carson Wentz gets himself corrected, though, I think it's going to be want to be Michael Pittman because I think there's just going to be a bigger ceiling there as far as volume and passing targets go, but it's going to be close between those two. Uh, last question. <laughs> Another Lockett question. Patrick, Julio, or Tyler Lockett this year?
3: I would go with Tyler Lockett. All the reasons you kind of pointed out, this guy's always been kind of sniffing in as one of the top receivers He's got the role for him shouldn't really change at all this year. And he doesn't have the injury concerns that Julio has. I love Julio's opp- opportunity to have upside because he's Julio Jones. He's a special talent, but he's getting older. Tyler Locke is still going, you know, still a younger guy, still explosive out there. And they expect the offense to kind of flow through a movement more than they have consistently.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if t- even the Titans are more pass-friendly, Julio is still going to have a regression in overall volume. And Tyler Lockett will probably have the same amount of volume and probably in a higher scoring offense, quite frankly, too. So, yeah, I'm with you. I actually have Tyler Lockett ahead of Julio Jones this season. Last poll question, who will finish higher, Janu Smith or Hunter Henry? 76% of MD Nation voted for Janu Smith. I'm happy for you guys. I'm proud of you guys. But why is that still not reflected in the ADP is what I want to know from you guys. But that's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Enjoy your weekend because I know this is one of the big draft weekends. Hit us up. We'll help you out throughout the week if you need it. We're going to be back live streaming again next week from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on both Thursday and Friday. It's going to be our top 108 on Thursday. And then our future bets for the NFL season. Try to win you guys some money next Friday. And then that's the last off-season week. Because after that, the following week, the following Thursday, yeah, it's actually regular season talk time. Is week one talk time. It's almost here, guys. I'm Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer. Make sure you're checking us out on social media at BellyupMDFF Show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The MD's Fantasy Football Show. And make sure you check us out tonight on the Radio Sports, uh, Unhinged Radio Sports Network from 6 p.m. 7.30 7 30 p.m. UnhingedSN.airtime.pro. We'll be live for you guys then and again on Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. So make sure you check us out then as well. Guys, we'll see you guys real soon. Have a good weekend. Take it easy.